Hello, I'm Ivan Franic and you're listening to Shooting Czars World Cup Podcast. On the fourth take, once again, we're back. This is the Shooting Czars World Cup Podcast, Episode 9, and we're all in exceptionally good spirits because it's coming home. And I know my English friend on the panel in Perth with me is particularly excited. Alex Grant, how are you feeling after the... <laughs> this is our feeling, mate. It's, it's coming, coming home. <laughs> it's coming home. I'm buzzing. I say what, mate. It's Not so smiling for three days. Fantastic. What did you um? How how were your emotions throughout that game? Come on, you got to let it. You got to let the listeners know. Bit of a roller coaster for you or for us. Like obviously, I'm an England fan as well, but I want to know you in particular, mate. Uh, oh, just a roller coaster of emotion, mate. It's just it was nail biting <laughs> stuff, wasn't it? It was. Oh, like it took me. It's the longest it's ever took me to get back to sleep as well. After the adrenaline was just still pumping. When I went back to bed, um, probably took me about forty-five minutes to get to nod back off. But yeah, the game itself was just—I don't know—crazy. When it went to penalties, I thought game over. But we pulled through in the end. The boys well, did you, it. You would have thought it was game over, particularly when Jordan Henderson missed his penalty in uh, in that penalty shootout. Of course, England prevailed four-three for the listeners. That if you didn't see it, I don't know where you've been, but England <laughs> won a penalty. England won a penalty shootout in a major tournament. Yeah, you're not dreaming. Pinch yourself. You're no. not dreaming. It actually happened. First time exactly. ever in a World Cup. Yeah. So, um, but Jordan Henderson in the penalty shootout missed the penalty. Granty, what were you thinking when Henderson missed that penalty? Oh, I was thinking, what? Well. He plays for Liverpool, <laughs> doesn't he? So you can hey. imagine what I was saying. I won't repeat it on here, but there was a lot of um, there was a lot of harsh words said. Let's put it that way. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of reaction initially from when he missed it was oh not again, and a lot of England fans I'm sure were going oh not again, here we go again, that sort of stuff. But yes, England beat Colombia in the round of 16 to progress to the quarterfinals at this World Cup and continue their massive run. Will it be coming home, I wonder? I know I personally want it to come home. Um, Bryce, what did you what did you make of the game? Give us a, a synopsis of the actual game itself. Well, Give us a bit of analysis. I think um, England from the outset looked a better team and they're more likely to score throughout. And when um, Kane scored the penalty, it just seemed like it was just deserved for them. And then Mina from Barcelona, who only got about eight games this season, Rose highest in the 93rd minute to break England hearts to equalise. And that's his three games he's played the World Cup and he scored three headers. Like this guy was unbelievable this World Cup. But I think Pickford's save later on was unbelievable as well. And then he went on to be the hero in the penalty shootout as well. Um, I think Eric Dyer came on the last 20, kind of slowed things down a bit. And I think um, he might have been the scapegoat if they were to have lost that penalty shootout. But um, no, I think England thoroughly deserved that win. And I'm just, I'm really glad they've kind of got rid of that hoodoo of not winning penalty shootouts. It's great for them. I'm buzzing. So you say you think Eric Dyer would have been the scapegoat. Yeah, I just saw on Twitter, just a lot of people were talking about his impacts off the bench and coming on into central midfield. And he was, he was quite negative and backwards. But I know they had to see the, the game out. That's fine. But I just think he didn't have a great game and people were already lining him up to be the great scapegoat in the English media if they weren't to win that penalty shootout. 
Well, he wasn't the great scapegoat. He was the great saviour. Exactly. Um, and he, he was the one that scored the winning penalty to get England through. And I'm just going to get a bit of reaction from – here's a bit of reaction from that uh, game. This is Eric Dyer after the match. I've never really been in a situation like that before, but uh, I felt like I had to score after the header I missed in the, at the end there. So uh, I'm thankful I scored that one. I bet you are, Eric, and uh, <laughs> so are we. Um, Love you, Eric. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he hasn't really played a lot of a lot of minutes in this World Cup, but he's obviously come on and done a job. Alex, how important that is that from a player's perspective? That you, you know, I suppose you got to know your role, and he's still come on and done what he needed to do for the team. Well, like Bryce said, he he didn't play particularly well um, when he came on towards the end of the game, but obviously Southgate's brought him on to do a defensive job, and England looked pretty solid to be fair, and didn't really look like conceding, but obviously the the set pieces where they've conceded and Trippier on the line maybe could have done a better job as well. He was probably my standout performer, Tri- uh, Trippier. Throughout he was the fantastic. Format. Throughout the 90 minutes, he was unbelievable. But I think maybe the, the mistake for the goal got to him a little because he was a bit, he looked a bit nervy in um, extra time or whether it was just fitness because a few of the English boys were cramping up um, and struggling. But yeah, to have that bottle... Um, to, to go and score the penalty die like he did was was amazing. And he, yeah. he even revealed that he didn't know he was going to be taking a penalty. Right. Like he found out like on the spot when they were doing the writing on the pad who was going to take him. He, he had no idea. So, I mean, to show the, you know, the bottle, as he said, to step up in that situation considering the, the previous record in history of England and penalty shootouts, I just think that's, that's absolute quality. Sorry, can you just explain, uh, Bryce, Eric Dye didn't know he was going to take a penalty until after the extra time was finished. That's right. So I was just reading earlier that um he just he just had no idea. Um the other two penalties were taken by Rashford. He, he they he just said he wasn't aware until like very short notice. Um, surely, surely Bryce though that they've asked who wants to take a penalty. That's generally what happens. I can't imagine that they've just gone Dyer, you're taking one. Well, yeah, I've, I've got the quote here. I didn't know the order until the manager came. The manager didn't tell us the order before the game. Obviously, with substitutions, the order can change. The extra time, he just told me I was number five. So well, there you go. But I'm, yeah, but I'm yeah, saying, sorry, I'm saying he, he must have known that he was taking a penalty. He just obviously didn't know which one he was taking. That's the, yeah, I think, I think I you're right. I think it's just taking that critical fifth penalty, which yeah. is usually the important decisive one. He had no idea. Which I think I think is probably good to not tell him until then because I mean you, you'd overthink it in extra time. You'd be like, oh, I'm number five, and he'd start overthinking things. So maybe it, I mean, obviously it was a good move, and it worked out. I thought it was great to see Marcus Rashford, like 20 years old as well, stepping up oh, and blocking one away. And what a penalty yeah. that was as well. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. And of course, the other saviour in that penalty shootout. We'll, we'll get on to the rest of the team in a moment, but Jordan Pickford, obviously Everton goalkeeper. Um, you know, much was made of his selection, I guess. It was sort of it was a bit up in the air at the start of the World Cup, but he's definitely solidified his spot via the saves he made in the penalty shootout. This is him after the game the other night. So we had a fair feeling. Falcao was the only one who really went, didn't go his way. But just set, react and go power. And I've got power and agility. Don't care if I'm not the biggest keeper, but I've got that power and agility to help us to get around the goal. And I'm, I'm very good at it. And, like I said, it's about getting there, remaining the save and being in the moment, and I was. For any of the listeners wondering, that actually was English, just if you were a bit... 
he's just from Sandal and that's all. That's it. He's from the northeast. <laughs> he's got a broad accent, but yeah, that was English. <laughs> mate, mate, can you stop taking the Mickey out of the northeast? New <laughs> <laughs> Stew and Pipe up there. He listed from the northeast, mate. <laughs> uh, yes, so Pickford, another saviour. Excellent stuff, but we're going to get to. Uh, I want to obviously get to Harry Kane. Harry Kane is the marvel of English football. He's breaking all sorts of records, and I've got a few records here for you guys, uh, just to, for the listeners as well. Harry Kane became the first player to score in six consecutive England appearances since Tommy Lawton did so in 1939. So Harry Kane scored their one goal in the match against Colombia, so that finished 1 1. Kane is the first player to score three penalties in the same World Cup since Bulgaria's Hristo Stoikov in 1994. Great Harry Kane has scored six goals in his first three World Cup appearances for England. Only three players have scored more in their first three matches. Sandor Kocis from uh, Hungary, Gerd Müller from Germany, and Hilermo Stabil from Argentina. And the last England player to be fouled more often in a World Cup match than Harry Kane <laughs> was Alan Shearer in 1998 against Tunisia. He deserved so it. Harry Kane, he did deserve it, according, <laughs> according to Harry, uh, Gary Lineker. But what do we make of Harry Kane in this game? He's just—I mean, the referee, the penalty he awarded or the penalty he got in the match was another one of these sort of rugby tackle sort of penalties that the refs seem to be awarding at this World Cup for us. Yeah, I think 100% a penalty. There was no doubt about that. But I just think, and as much as I mean, he has been scoring plenty of goals. I have seen some you know, critics noting that it's all penos and this kind of nonsense. But I just think to show the the quality and poise to slot each of those in a World Cup, at his first World Cup, I just think he's he's been a fantastic captain. And I know I was definitely one that was critical of him getting the captaincy over Hendo since Hendo had been captain of the national team for the past, you know, in qualifying and everything. I just think he's really, I mean, shown the critics what he's made of. And yeah, big credit to him. What do you reckon, Alex? Yeah, he's been absolutely. He's been fantastic, phenomenal. Um, he's stepped up and he's leading the leading the boys really well. Uh, the goals he scored. Look, people will probably knock him because he scored three penalties now. But at the end of the day, you you've got to have the ball to to finish him. Do you know what I mean? Like he's put his hand up, obviously, to take penalties. He's the best penalty shooter in the team, and he's slotted everyone away. He's not missed one, and I don't think he will. Such wood. But um, no. Yeah, he's he's just been fantastic. You can't knock him, but he doesn't. He's one of those players as well. Like he doesn't, he can float around, and you don't see him that much. Do you know what I mean? He he'll pop up every now and then at the right time. He's not always involved, but he's just so yeah. clinical when he does get his chance. Yeah. He always takes it. Yeah, that, that, that's the difference. He's one of those players that won't touch the ball for, or hasn't been super involved in build-up play and whatnot. But him, which separates him from guys like Lingard and Sterling in particular. One chance, one goal, and that's sort of all that obviously really matters. But final reaction from that game, I've just grabbed some uh, Gary Neville audio. This is Gary Neville after the England win. They put themselves right through it by conceding that last-minute goal, but having come through it the way <coughs> we have in terms of winning on penalties, they'll come out of it better than they would have done if they just won 1-0 with a mature, professional, really good performance it was. So England through to the quarterfinals at the FIFA World Cup, which is obviously... Uh, exceptional and they've got handy draw they may go to the final let's wait and see but other results uh, from the round of 16 Brazil versus Mexico Bryce I'll start with you to give us a bit of of summation on this result mate I forgot there were other games yeah (laughs) so consumed by the England game I just think 
This was Neymar's best game so far, despite rolling around for half the time. Um, he scored the opener and assisted Firmino for the second. Uh, Mexico looked to have Brazil on the ropes in the first 20 to 25 minutes, and it looked like Brazil wouldn't have it their own way, but they weathered the storm and worked themselves into the match, and for me, they utterly dominated from that point. Um, I just think their build-up play was fantastic, although their fullbacks did get kind of isolated. When Mexico were starting to look like they were going to cause some issues, their fullbacks, Fagner and Felipe Luiz, were isolated, and that tactics worked for Mexico, but... Didn't concede and they scored in the second half. And I just think um, they're looking good, Brazil. Like, honestly, I think it was one of the more, most complete performances from a team defensively and attackingly in that game. Mm. Granty? Yeah, I think they've, um, they've had the critics slightly against them, Brazil, because they've not been, um, they've not played that well, have they, so far in the tournament. So for them to come out and dominate against, against Mexico, who've actually performed quite well at this World Cup, I think. Um, just just shows that they're they're not to be taken um, taken for granted in this tournament. And for me, Brazil are probably the ones who, because they've got the history there of getting to the final. And I think that's a, a massive a massive um, psychological thing for other teams when they come up against them. Uh, they're they're already defeated mentally in a way. Yeah, I just got yeah. A, I got a feel for Mexico. That's they've gone out at the round of sixteen for the past six World Cups without scoring a single goal. It's that's a curse right there. Yes. That is a no, witch's that, curse. That is a witch's curse, exactly. But another team Yeah, one team I'm feeling for is Japan. And I know you're gonna to touch on that now, aren't you, Stu? Yeah. So <laughs> another team which has got out of the round of sixteen uh, is Japan. They've never progressed past the round of sixteen and far out. This is probably every every game week now, every round in the in the tournament the the new best game I think is arising, and I think that the best game of the tournament was Belgium Japan, um, which ended which ended three two as as a noise goes off in the background. Um, Japan were leading two nil and got their hearts absolutely ripped out by Belgium uh, by Nasser by Nasser Shadley in the ninety third minute, scoring the winner. So Belgium came back from two goals down to win three two. Got game of the tournament, Bryce. What do you reckon? Oh, it was just nuts, wasn't it? you you got to feel so sorry for Japan. And how's Nasser Chadley, a guy who hardly got a game for West Bromwich Albion, who got relegated this season, coming up in a World Cup round of 16 and scoring a winner in that fashion? I just think that it was very strange the way Japan went all in for that corner at the very end. Um, and then Belgium were able to get them on the counter-attack. I just think it went to show that Japan didn't have the belief that if it went to extra time, they'd be able to... They thought they wouldn't be able to win it. So, I mean, for me, Japan have to be one of the highlights of this tournament. They were the first team to ever go through the group stages because they behaved better and got less yellow cards than Senegal. Um, but they just showed such ticker and character, defied all the odds. Everyone wrote them off, including their own fans. And speaking of their fans, they set the tone in yet again cleaning their entire section after the game, even after such a demoralising loss. So I just think it's, it's they've been amazing and a real... Real highlight, and yeah, and even their fans were massive when they came back. Came back to a huge reception at the airport. So go on, Japan. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Obviously, the fans didn't send them off in numbers, but obviously, Japan have surprised everybody at this World Cup, and they weren't tipped to do much, as we've mentioned on the podcast at the World Cup. But they certainly did do a lot, and they were welcomed back to a rock star welcome back at the airport. Granty, go on. If you look at how the other games have gone, um, like in the round of sixteen, if if it goes to penalties, there's 
you know, there's a chance they could win. So I think, like you said, Bryce, for him throwing everyone up for the corner, they just left themselves open, didn't they, for the for the last goal? And and I've just read before that um, there was, I think that's the ninth last minute winner of of this World Cup. Um, Jeez. Yeah, crazy, eh? And there's only been, there was 10 in the previous five tournaments combined. So that just shows you how many, like, to put it in perspective, there's been so many last-minute winners. And I think that just comes down to teams just thinking they've either drawn or, you know, they're still in a game and then... Switching off. Yeah, and switching off. And the other team takes advantage of that. And when it comes down to the last five minutes or so, it's all mental and... That's where it really tests you, and I think a lot of teams have just really caved in in this tournament, which has been great for us. Oh, I want to just ask. Obviously, Japan went to attacking in that final play at that corner. Obviously, very uh, positive, wanting to win the game. From that perspective, it's sort of what you want to see. But from a defender's perspective and from a, a player's perspective, why did they leave themselves, or, or what the hell happened at the back there? Why do you think they left themselves so thin? To get countered, like to have a, a counter attack from De Bruyne and you know Belgium's front four, which are, are probably up there with the best in the world. What do you reckon happened uh, down at the back for Japan? Look, I don't understand Japanese, so I wouldn't have a clue. But <laughs> um, no, the momentum was with Belgium at the end of the day, and Japan really needed to recognise that. And it, I just think. Like I said, the momentum was with Belgium. They, if they did get another attack, you'd, you'd fancy him to score. And, and they got that opportunity and took it. And like, like we said, for Japan, it was just so heartbreaking. But they kind of shot themselves in the foot in a way. Maybe they didn't want it to go into extra time. <laughs> yeah. Surely, if you're in that situation when you're playing for the glory, you'd be commanding people to get in position and not go to over-attacking. I'm, I'm just curious as to why you think that something like that could be allowed to happen. Well, from set pieces, we generally we generally leave, if there's one striker up top, and we generally leave two back, and then maybe a midfielder or another defender sitting on the edge of the box just to cover if need be, uh, if, the, if the other team attacks quickly. So I, di- I didn't actually see how many, how many men Japan left back or whether they threw everyone forward, but um, Belgium just, they counter-attack so quickly and they just seem to have so many man, men up the park and Japan just seemed really slow to recover. Yeah, how was how was Inui's goal for that second one for Japan? Just top draw. Oh yeah, 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 great yeah. finish. But I thought the header was in for Tongan as well. I know he's not meant it. Oh, but still, still a great header to, to do the to do the keeper and Fellaini, big man Fellaini. I tell you what, yes. What everyone, I, mean, knocks, I want to actually knocks Fellaini, but he's yeah. he's worth. Continues to make an impact, doesn't he? He's he's quality. He's just one of those. He's just a, he's an absolute impact player, but he's so good. He's that perfect plan B. I think he's the 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 best plan B going around in the world. I actually can't think of a player that comes on and does more in the box attackingly, and like he's a midfielder that can head the ball better than any striker, and he comes on and completely messes with defenders' heads. They have no idea like where he's going to be, and more often than not, he'll score a goal off the bench. Would you agree in saying that he's up there with being probably the best plan B in world football, Bryce? Right now. Yeah, sorry, right now. Yeah, I mean, if Crouch in his heyday was probably one of the best, but I just feel that Fellaini, he's got that midfield presence as well. He can play around and impact a play in the middle, but then he can score as well. I mean, United recently signed him to a one-year extension, so Mourinho's obviously a huge fan. I mean, he's utterly horrible to watch with his elbows flying around, but he gets the job done in the end, and I think he's... 
a serious asset for Belgium. I just think the way Belgium came back in this game, I think it gives them a huge psychological edge for the rest of the tournament, knowing that no matter how hopeless things may look, they can still get themselves back into a winning position as well. Grunty? Yeah, well, let's just... He's got a fantastic air court. I wish I could grow my air like that. <laughs> Top but he's, Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, just, he's just such a physical presence, isn't he? And I think we've seen it with... Um, the strike that is it Artem? How do you pronounce his second night second name? Du Dubar or I'm not 100 percent sure how you pronounce it, but he scored a couple of goals and just that physical presence in and around the box just is really handy to to have, like you said, to bring on late in games um, to to try and find a goal. It's just an alternative um, alternative method. I don't think he'll be too happy with you calling him a, a plan B, but. That's kind of what he is, isn't it? Yeah, for yeah, sure. but that's that that's what he's been molded into with all the managers, apart from maybe David Moyes at Everton. I mean, that's his role at Man U, and clearly it's his role with Mart- Roberto Martinez in the Belgium national team. But I don't think it's that bad of a thing. He he could go into any. I reckon every club would love to have Marouane Fellaini in their team to come on and does what he does. Like, yeah, does what he does. He's definitely one of those guys you don't appreciate until you you've got him on your side and see what he does for you. Um, I'd just like to know that um, Keisuke Honda from Japan is now retired from international football. He was a massive player for them and a bit of an icon over the past few years. I mean, 97 games and 37 goals. So congratulations to him. All right. We'll uh, we'll wrap up the round of 16 matches and we'll do a quick preview to the quarterfinals. So Sweden beat Switzerland 1-0. So Sweden, England, Brazil uh, and Belgium are all through to the quarterfinals. And what that is shaping up to be absolutely amazing. France, Uruguay, we'll start with that, Bryce. Quickly, what do you, what do you, in a quick summation, what do you expect? See, I'm glad we're glossing over the Sweden Switzerland game because there is now to talk about. That was dross. Um, I think France, Uruguay is going to be an absolute cracker. I think Uruguay are fantastic defensively and they've shown that this tournament. And France look amazing uh, attackingly. So, so Uruguay defensive unit, France the attacking unit, and then Uruguay have still got Cavani and Suarez up top. I think this is going to be a nuts game. I think it's going to be mental, I'm, and I think it's going to be a goal fest. I'm praying for that. What's your tip? Um, I think it'll be a draw and we'll go to extra time. Um, this is actually seriously tough. I think Uruguay have been one of the teams of the tournament, but look, I'm going to say France might just have the edge attackingly, and they are. I think France will get over them just in extra time, though. All right, Alex, quick tip. Nil, nil. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no. It's, it's the early game, Bryce. Don't worry about it. You can get through it. It's the Brazil Belgium <laughs> game. It's if you're getting up for that, that's the one you want goals in. Uh, no, I think I, I can see Uruguay coming out on top. I just think they're so much more defensively sound than France. Definitely. I think I agree with Bryce. There will be goals. But I can just see Uruguay coming out on top. Um, I can see a two-one win for Uruguay. To be honest with you, I just, I just France just look a bit open at the back. I'm not entirely convinced that they can keep a clean sheet against Uruguay. Whereas Uruguay, we spoke about that Atletico Madrid partnership in the centre of the park at the back, um, which has been pivotal for them. And I just think Cavani and Suarez up top are just lethal. But Edison Cavani's under an injury cloud, so he may not even play in the France game. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Um, but yes, Uruguay, France, and Brazil, Belgium on... Uh, when is it? Tonight. It's tonight. So the first Oof. first game, 10 p.m. tonight, Western Standard Time. And then obviously tomorrow morning, Saturday morning, 2 a.m., Saturday the 7th of July, Brazil v. Belgium. I'm going to go France 
2-0 over Uruguay. Brazil, Belgium, we'll just give quick tips here. No sure. analysis. We'll go, we'll go. I'm going to go for... Oh, that is such a tough one. This one's going to go to penalties, I think, after a 2 all draw. Bryce? Uh, I'm going to say 2-1 to Brazil. I'm Out. saying 9-8 nine, nine, on penalties. <laughs> On penalties, he's gone two. from a nil-nil driving to nine-nil. I love it. It's going to be it's two-two, two-two at the end of um, normal time. Yeah, three-three at the end of extra time, and then nine-eight <laughs> on penalties to Belgium. So you, you right. swallowed the parrot this time, Grant. You're going the two-all in, in normal time. Are you copying me, mate? Pop kettle black. <laughs> Whatever, Bryce. Yes, you are. Oh, <laughs> I need to be salty, mate. <laughs> All right, and tomorrow's game, Sweden, England. We've spoken a lot about England, so we won't go into this much. But England, uh, Sweden, Saturday, July 7, 10 p.m. Western Standard Time. England are getting up here, boys. It's going to be 2-1 to England. I don't think they're going to not concede a goal. Yeah. Bryce. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go 1-0 to England. I'm saying 2-0. 2-0. And Russia, Croatia to round it out. I'm backing in the home nation. Russia are going to get to the semis. They're going to go... 2-1 over Croatia. All right. Well, I think Russia have proven me wrong this entire tournament, but I'm still not going to back them. Um, Croatia look great. I'm backing Croatia to win. Uh, I'll go 2-1. I think Russia might get one, but I think Croatia should win this comfortably. I'm saying Croatia 3-0. So if you're in any sweepstakes, write those tips down because... We're going to win you some cash. <laughs> Remember... Belgium, 9-8 on penalties. <laughs> the odds will be ridiculous. <laughs> All right, moving on to a new segment now. We're going to be talking about the stars of the World Cup, potentially earning big moves after the World Cup. This one's brought to you by Bryce. This is called The Rumour Mill. Now... I don't want to be losing my mind if it's one of my club players at Newcastle moving. Bryce, hit us with hit us with the rumours. No, no Newcastle ones at the moment, but um, we've got uh, probably the biggest name in the world, Ronaldo, rumoured to be joining Juventus. So the Bianconeri look to be uh, shelling out some coin for him. Uh, I'm a bit sceptical of this, and I think this is just another one of Jorge Mendes's mind games in trying to fabricate a bigger move for Ronaldo at Madrid. But what do you guys yeah. think? Do you think this is feasible? Well, for the listeners, Jorge Mendes is Cristiano Ronaldo's agent. And Super he agent. And is, is notorious for... Ronaldo obviously has transfer rumors every season. I think this is a load of bollocks. I can't see him leaving uh, Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah, me either. I don't, I don't think he's gone anywhere. I think, um, yeah, he's staying at Real Madrid. Or he's gone back to United. <laughs> Never gonna happen. Come on, mate. Let's be real here. <laughs> um, I think there's there's uh, there's already been shirts spotted and all this nonsense that happens in the transfer window. But I I honestly can't see this happening. I feel like it'd be a strange move as well. But I think the bigger one for uh, the Australian centric one. I mean, Arzani's on the brink of a move to parent club Manchester City for a reported fee of five hundred grand. And then the rumour is that he'll be uh, loaned out afterwards. Do you think that's the right move for him? Uh, well, it's similar to the way Aaron Moy moved to England. Um, the only worry, I guess, is is it too early? It's so hard to say. But I guess if he – do you say he's going to be loaned back to the A-League? Uh, well, there, there, there is the rumour that he will yeah. be moved back and that's what they want. Yeah. But then um, I think there's a series of other clubs that um, could be involved there. I mean, you've got – 
Um, they've got there's a group, the City Football Group Satellite Club, as they're named, NAC Breda in Holland, or possibly Club Bruges in Belgium are touted as the clubs where he'd be loaned out to initially. And then the other option is obviously Warren Joyce keeping him at uh, Melbourne City. So, Granty, what, what, what do you think is the best move for him at uh, this time? He's, he's still young, isn't he? And he's still developing. And um, the most important thing for him is that he's playing week in, week out and getting competitive football under his belt. So, obviously, it's, it's great for him. and He'll probably cash in a bit if he goes to Man City. But, yeah, he needs to go somewhere where his game's going to develop even more. And, and probably, someone said to me the other day about would he go to, because I know, I think he's in, he's been... He's been in England at the moment, hasn't he, with his Asian, I, I believe. Um, and someone said, yeah. how would he? How do you think he'd do if he if he got a move to England in, in one of the leagues there? And I think at the moment he's probably... I think his game still needs to develop a bit more um, before maybe taking a move there. And I think maybe somewhere like Belgium or, or Holland would be, probably be perfect. Perfect for him where the games, yeah, yeah where sure. the games aren't aren't as physical as the UK and things like that. It probably help his game. But even if he came back to the A League for another season, that'd be it'd be great for the league. Firstly, to have him in there, I think that'd attract a lot of fans because of the hype that's surrounded him over the World Cup. Yeah. Um, but like I said, the standard in the A League is getting a lot better as well, so that'd still improve his game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the next one, uh, Willy Carvalho, the Portuguese uh, central defensive midfielder, who's been, he's wanted by all the massive European giants for the past few years. He's been at Lisbon. He's now signed for Real Betis in La Liga. So I find that a very strange move. And then the, the next one, we've got Mina, the guy, the Colombian, of course, who rose highest to almost break English hearts uh, with that header against them. He's reportedly on the move from Barcelona to Everton for £20 million. Twenty-eight million pounds. Do you reckon he'd suit the Premier League with his physicality and you know nous for a header? Yeah, he's a beast. I think so. I think he, he, yeah, he's tall, he's big, he's strong. He can tackle. He's commanding. He looks scary. Like it's everything <laughs> that Premier League defending defenders are. But he's an ominous player to come up against. I could personally see it. I don't mind that. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think he could definitely do a job. I just hopefully. He doesn't do a job for Everton. That'd just be awful. But the other <laughs> biggest one I've found is Mbappe to Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid have had to come out and deny a $317 million bid for for me, the next Ballon d'Or winner. Uh, I just think he's shown this World Cup that he's going to be the best and he will win these major awards in the future. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if Real Madrid get him. I just don't think they'll get him yet because he's at PSG. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to be getting him yet. I think it's still – he'll probably go back to PSG and have another season there. But I do agree with you. And there was an article written on ESPN that it's clear that Mbappe is now the, the front runner to sort of take over from Messi and Ronaldo. And Messi and Ronaldo finally have challenges as – to who's the best player in the world? Yeah, about time. World about time. Yeah. Do you reckon he deserves that fee? Three hundred seventeen million dollars. Who knows, mate? It's just going to keep going up and up and up and up. Yeah. But. I think, yeah, Mbappe is great player, and I think, yeah, he's definitely got potential. But let's not speak too soon as to whether he'll be a world beater. Yeah. I mean, he's still got a lot of, a lot of. Um, he's only nineteen, and okay. he? so he's still got a long way to go. But yeah, he's quite. What I want to know is though, I've just looked up. Um, past Golden Boot winners and the moves that they've got after the World Cups. Um, so I just want to put a bit of fear into anyone, any of our Tottenham supporter listeners um, <laughs> and whether Harry Kane, if he does win the Golden Boot, will get fobbed off to an, um, a bigger club or whether he'll get signed 
um, over in Spain or wherever, or even a bigger club in the um, nah. in the in the Premier League. Because I know, as um, history tells it, Gary Lineker in '86 got to move to Barcelona after top score, top goal scoring in the World Cup. Oleg Selenko in 1994, he got to switch to Valencia, and even the likes of Ronaldo, he got to move from Milan to Real Madrid after the 2002 World Cup. And probably one we all know more recently, James Rodriguez got a move to Real Madrid as well after he top goal scored in the 2014 I mean, I just note, after all those moves, I'd say Ronaldo is in Brazilian Ronaldo's move from Milan to Madrid. That's probably the only one that worked out. I think Gary Lineker didn't have a great time in Barcelona. He did. Can't, yes, can't, he did. Can't, I, think he, I don't think he was amazing. I don't think it was a huge success. You weren't even alive, Bryce. You couldn't, you Bryce. couldn't watch it, mate. Yeah, but I, I can read. I can Bryce, read. he scored 42 goals in 103 league appearances. If that's not a good strike, if that's not a good strike rate for a striker, I don't know what. That's that's unbelievable. I still don't think that's 42 amazing. goals in 100 games. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm I a fan of Gary. We all know that. that. He's helped me with that. That is business. harsh, mate. That is very harsh. <laughs> Gary, I hope you. Gosh, very Gary, harsh. if you're listening, I'm, I apologize. I'm half a bride. <laughs> oh, no. Gary, you'll be right. All right. All right, lads. Look, we'll leave the rumor mill there. It'll be interesting to see what happens to Harry Kane when he wins the Golden Boot because he's going to and everyone knows it. But yes, uh, that was the rumor mill. Thank you very much, Bryce Conway. All righty, lads. I want to just quickly touch on some other interesting news throughout the World Cup just to... Tell the listeners what's been going on in Russia. So Samara residents have been asked to shower in pairs <laughs> to save water for World Cup fans. So Samara is obviously a host city in Russia and apparently the hospitality of the city is being tested to the limit. So residents are being asked to obviously shower in pairs to save water for, for World Cup visitors. What do we think? Yeah, that's a bit odd, isn't it? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Who's drinking water thing? anyway? Very interesting though. There's a water shortage in uh, in uh, in Samara, uh, and the other funny one was Chesterfield have allowed Harry Maguire's brother to travel to Russia to watch England, which I guess isn't so funny, obviously. If but he's obviously in pre-season with Chesterfield as well. Harry Maguire's the centre back for the England national team, and his brother's been allowed to leave to go watch his older brother play in a World Cup quarterfinal. That's sort of what you want to see from clubs. Uh, in supporting families and supporting players, would you not agree? Well, they obviously Alex? don't rate him, do they? At Chesterfield, oh yeah. Well, look, we don't rate you. Yes. We're not telling you we don't rate you, but you can go to the World Cup if you want, mate. Off you go. Yeah, enjoy yourself and watch your more talented yeah. older brother kill it on the world stage. And finally, Diego Maradona, which we've touched on, he's come out and sort of apologised for his antics at the World Cup, <laughs> saying that he sort of yeah. was over, over emotional, and he and he, he also labelled England's win over Colombia as the biggest steal in World Cup history or something like that. But Mar- Maradona has since apologised. And the hand of God wasn't. At this World Cup and there's been... Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Do yeah. one. Shut up, Mario. Favor Maradona. Yeah, Diego Maradona being Diego Maradona once again. All right, lads, we'll leave it there. That was episode nine of the Shooting Czars World Cup podcast. We'll be back in the coming days for episode 10. If you're listening through iTunes, please review us, subscribe to us, give us some feedback. It would be much appreciated. But yes, I'm Stuart Marshall and thanks for listening.